0: All right, well welcome to Calvary Chapel North Shore and of course it probably goes without saying that we're we're still on the, uh, the lockdown mode of doing church so um, I hope and pray that um, whenever and however you're listening to this that you're doing well and that um, everyone's healthy and good and of course we're all kind of in the same boat. We're looking forward to the the time when we can get together and worship together um, as the body of Christ and so we look forward to that. But in the meantime, um, I just want to, um, as, as best as we can, just be consistent moving through and doing our Wednesday night Bible study. And tonight, I, I know that we've taken a break from Leviticus. We've been kind of hopping around. Pastor Steve and I have both been doing that. And just really allowing the Holy Spirit to put on our heart each week a, a message that we, we feel is, is just really um, timely for the, for the body of Christ. And um, tonight, you know, I was doing a little mini-series on prayer. And we're just going to kind of leave that where it is. And tonight, I want to just look at a very, very familiar passage out of James chapter 1. So the little uh, New Testament epistle of James. So I'll give you a moment to grab your Bibles and get to it. Um, We're just going to look at the first four verses of James 1. And the second I start reading them... um, and even as I mentioned it, some of you were like, oh, I know exactly what that passage is. It's going gonna, it's gonna to definitely um, be familiar territory, but maybe not for some. Maybe this is going to be the first time you hear it, and I hope if it is, it's, um, it really meets you where you're at. So I'm going to go ahead and read it, James chapter 1, starting in verse 1, going to go through verse 4, and then we'll go ahead and pray. So James 1, 1. Lacking in nothing, and Father God, we just want to praise you and thank you for your word. And Lord, I humbly approach it tonight because this text that I read is is one of those that that really strikes um at a, at a very deep place in us, Lord, because we all face trials and we all go through things, temptations, trials. And Lord, I know that many, many people are right in the middle of one right now. And so Father, as you know, I've been praying, I pray once again that Lord, would you please use your scriptures and the power of your Holy Spirit to let this be a word that is exactly what some need to hear. And maybe, maybe for a lot of other people, it's not exactly, you know, um, the exact word they need in the moment, but it's just something they need to say yes and amen to and, and put it in their back pocket for later or something. But I pray that, Lord, you would teach us. I pray that we would get it with our head, but, Lord, that would also touch our hearts. And so, Lord, we commit this evening to you. We commit the Word of God to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, The verses I just read, which I've I've already said are very familiar to a lot of us, um, have always been relevant. They've always been relevant verses in that from day one, mankind, we have all gone through trials. And so from the moment this was written, I mean, it's always found relevance to someone somewhere. But I, I can't help but think that that little chunk of verses that I read is maybe more relevant than ever um, in the day and age in which we're living, simply because the entire world is kind of in some way, shape, or form experiencing the same or, you know, elements of the same trial right now with COVID-19 and lockdown and and everything that is associated with that. And so, um, at some level, I would be willing to put money down that you are in some kind of trial right now. Now, for others, it's going to be more severe, and for others, maybe less severe. But nonetheless, these are relevant verses. In fact, when this whole thing began to unfold with the lockdown order and all of that, this is one of the first passages that really popped into my head, and I've kind of circled back to it, and I've been meditating on the last couple of days. But And, and it's interesting, because these verses that I read, I have a real love-hate relationship with these. And not that I, I'm not saying I hate God's Word, but what I'm saying is, like on one hand, when I read that of count it all joy when you're facing all these trials and and this and that, and I on one part of me I'm just like really like honestly, and there's almost like this part where like that is so unreal, that is so like non you know like realistic and unattainable, and usually people quote that to you at the very worst time when like you don't want to hear it, and you're going through something, and somebody goes, well you know. All things work together for good. Or, you know, oh, I quoted the wrong one. That's a great one, too. But, you know, count it all joy when you're going through various trials. And you're just kind of like, shut up. You know, I I know that verse. So there's a part of me that kind of wrangles with that verse a little bit. But at the same time, it's such an encouraging verse. And and it's deeply, deeply challenging. Because as we'll see, uh, James is not making some glib little statement. There's a lot of weight behind it. So... We want to take a look at it uh, tonight. Before we do that, I don't want to spend a lot of time, but it's always good, I think, to just get, you know, a little bit about, uh, you know, who's writing, where they're coming from. And I just want to just talk a little bit about James, the book of James, just for a moment. Um, There in verse 1, and uh, we get not only author, but the audience. Uh, Look at verse 1. James says, um, it says, James, rather, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there's been debate over the years, okay, which James is this? We're not going to dive into all those arguments and things tonight, but um, you can just be assured that that the James that's being referred to, the James that wrote this epistle, is none other than actually the half-brother of Jesus. There's other Jameses that are mentioned, but this is the half-brother of Jesus. And just let that sink in for a second. This is um, the the, the, a guy who grew up in the same household as Jesus. I know that some people, um, even some churches out there, kind of push the idea that Mary stayed a virgin her entire life, and she did not. She had other kids, and that's referenced in the Gospels in several different places. But this is actually the half-brother of Jesus. Half-brother because they have the same mom, they just have different dads. Um, God the Father was Jesus's dad. But just imagine, James grew up with Jesus. What's fascinating about James is we can put together from uh, John chapter 7 um, that he and his other siblings didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. We're told, I believe, in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus actually appeared to James. And at some point, we don't have it recorded, but at some point, James actually put his faith in... In his half-brother to be the Messiah and got saved. And then we know that he became this pillar in the, in the early church. He was super influential in the church in Jerusalem. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, uh, we see James right in the middle of the um, the Jerusalem council where they're debating on, you know, whether, whether or not Gentiles have to keep the law and this and that. And so he's a huge part of the church. A couple things about James that if you've read the epistle of James— you know this already, James is very direct. He does not beat around the bush. He's a very proactive guy. He's a very action-oriented guy. In fact, in the 108 verses that make up the book of James, 54 of them are imperatives. That means a call to action in some way. That means every other verse in the book of James, he's in some way, shape, or form calling us to do something and have action. So just an incredibly um, direct active action-oriented guy and notice it says in verse one also that he's writing to the 12 tribes in that are in dispersion and and again i don't want to get too far off on this but he's writing to most believe uh jewish christians who had been dispersed probably through persecution and he's writing to those guys this is one of the earliest letters actually uh written and um so just a really uh just really fascinating all that to say is that um He's talking to those guys. He's addressing them. We don't know exactly the occasion, but right out of the gates, doesn't waste any time. He comes right at us with an imperative. What I'd like to do is just kind of take a slow, word-by-word approach to verse 2, which is his call to action, and then in verses 3 and 4, he gives his explanation And then we're going to really kind of circle back to verse 2 again for the application. And so let's just look at um, real, you know, straightforwardly um, what he says. What what is James calling us to do? What's his first of the 54 calls to action? Well, look at verse 2. It says, um, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So again, let's just look at the words here. They're very colorful and they, they kind of bring out a lot of, information. First of all, he says, count it or count. Another translation might say, consider it. and That's good. It literally means to count something. He says, to consider something to be so, to regard it as being true. In other words, he's saying, believe this. Think this way about what I'm about to say. Consider it to be true. What does he say? He says, count it, listen, joy, gladness, delight, but not just joy, it literally says all joy, and, that, and that's important. The word all there is in the Greek, and it means complete and utter. He's literally saying, guys, consider it complete and utter joy, happiness, delight, gladness, when, I think that's an important word too, when. It doesn't say if. It says when. And that's true, and we, we know that's true. It's not a matter ever of if you're going to have trials. It's, it's really just a matter of when. And I don't mean that to sound like depressing or anything. That's just kind of the world we live in, and it's inevitable. And he says when you meet, I think other translations say um, when you encounter or when you have or whatever, um, and that's what it means to, to encounter something. But there's a nuance to the word, which means you're meeting something or encountering, encountering something suddenly in an unexpected manner. And then he says, so count it or consider it something to be true. This is what I want you to consider, all joy, when, not if, you encounter suddenly, unexpectedly, trials of various kinds. Now let's pause there for a minute. The word trials is important. In fact, if you're reading from an old King James Version Bible, you'll probably recognize there's a different word there. He says something like, when you meet various uh, temptations, Some some English translations have trials and some English translations have temptations. And it's interesting because when you look up the Greek word, it really can be both words. It can be trial or it can be temptation, some kind of test or examination, or it can be a temptation. Now, by the way, um, James clarifies a few verses later in verse 13 He clarifies this point that God himself will never tempt us in the sense of enticing us to sin. Listen to verse 13. He says, Let no one say that when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted with evil and he tempts no one with evil. Each person is tempted when he's lured away or enticed by his own desires. And then he goes on. So God's not going to entice us to sin or tempt us in that way. But here's the reality is that Satan does. And our, our own flesh rears up and temptation comes out that way. Temptations come at us and trials come at us. And whether you're talking about a trial, some heavy, hard, unexpected circumstance, or you're talking about a, a temptation of some sort, the point is, is that those things don't get to us unless God sovereignly allows those things to come our way. And I, I want to talk a little bit about that later but for now we're just trying to get what James is saying consider it all joy complete and total joy my brothers when you meet encounter unexpectedly trials but not just any trials notice this of various kinds he doesn't he doesn't like delineate exactly what What kind of trial? He just says, look, they're going to come in all different shapes and sizes and duration and intensity levels. They're just going to come. In fact, the the literal Greek meaning of the word various kinds, uh, one word in the Greek literally means many-colored, just like a rainbow color of of trials that are going to come your way. And and I'm sure right away, guys, I I don't have to guess, I, I know that... All of us could just say, yep, that's how it works. That's how life works. Um, They just keep coming and they come in various forms and manners and intensity levels and all of that. So let's just stop here for a second because I really want us to get this. What exactly is James saying? Simply put, James tells us that we're to be utterly joyful when hard trying circumstances of all kinds come upon us suddenly. Now, with that in place, let me just say this. I am so glad that he doesn't leave it there. I'm so glad that he doesn't just kind of let that, you know, move on from that onto something else, or else it would just be some kind of glib, weightless, meaningless like platitude that we just kind of throw out there when we don't know what else to say. You know, he, he, and it's not that. He's going he's gonna to back up why he's saying that. Because if it was just left to itself, we'd say, that is ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense in the world. Why in the world would I be joyful about a hard circumstance that's in my life? So he is going to deal with that. But let me tell you this, um, maybe kind of leading up to that. Let me tell you what James is not saying. He's not saying that when you're going through something hard, um, when you're being really tried, in your relationship with your spouse or with your children, with your finances, or with your health, or with your, you know, car breaking down or some, whatever it might be, whatever pressure at work or, he's not saying that you put on some fake smile and dance a jig and go, I'm V, I'm having a really hard time. My car broke down, we hee He's not talking about acting fake or anything like that. I think what he's getting at is that even though it's hard and we recognize it's hard, we can still in the core of who we are, take a posture of joy understanding what he says next. If we understand, I should say, what he says next, we can truly have those moments of clarity. We may wrestle with frustration and and being down and all the rest, but we we can kind of come back in and say, but you know what? Based on what he's about to say, I can really have joy. And you just are free and it really can work. So, So glad he didn't stop there. He explains what he means by that. It's not just some empty phrase like, you know, hang in there or something like that. Listen to what he says. Now, let's get into the explanation. Verse 3. He says, for, and that's a reasoning word. It's like saying because, and I'm so glad it links, that we're linking it up here. He says, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, this is huge. Check this out. He says, you know. I love the fact that he appeals to the fact that they know what he's about to say. They're going to, be, they're going to say, oh, we know that. The word know there is gnosko in the Greek, and it means to have an experiential knowledge. And he says, you know this by experience, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, let's drill down into that for a second. The first thing right off the bat that we recognize is that, The basis for James saying that we can have joy in the midst of hard times has some kind of link to faith, our faith. That there's something to do with our faith here. He says, look, the testing of your faith, it's producing something. What's he saying? These trials, these God-allowed trials and temptations are actually designed and used by God to be tests Of our faith. I've never really been good at tests. Ever since I was in school, any kind of test, I'm not good at it. But let me just say this about tests, and I think this is important where, where James is going with this. Tests do a couple of things. Number one, a test, whether you're talking about a math test, whether you're talking about, you know, like some kind of physical fitness test or whatever, a test will actually reveal where you really are not where you think you are not where you want to be or you portray yourself to be hard times trials tests they will reveal where you really are it's that old i don't know who came up with it it's it's a great illustration if you're driving you know through the parking lot i'm picturing myself driving through a a parking lot with a, a hot cup of coffee in my hand and i hit a speed bump. And it plurps the, that's actually a word, plurp. It plurps the hot coffee out of the cup and goes onto my hand and burns my hand. Listen, the bump, the speed bump, whatever, did not um, make hot coffee. It just revealed what was in the cup. Does that make sense? So when a trial comes and what comes out of me is anger or frustration or weak faith or something like that, the trial didn't make that in me. It just revealed what was already in me. If bitterness comes out, if, you know, like I said, anger or frustration or, or uh, wimpiness or whatever it is comes out of me, that's because that's what's in me. And a test will do that. A test will reveal where you really are. But here's another cool thing about in God's economy. See, in God's economy, tests not only reveal where we are, but they also are the exact means by which God strengthens us and helps us to grow and be better. The test is the very thing that God will use. God will use that thing to not only reveal what needs to be fixed, but also he'll use that as the means of fixing us if we allow it to. So kind of hang on to that thought. Um, Just, but you know, maybe another way of thinking about it simpler is that the tests are not meant to break us. They're meant to make us. Show us what we need and help us get there. Um, But notice this this all-important key. He says, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness. Now, I want to just notice that. Testing produces something as it relates to our faith. Steadfastness. Um, Now, I'm reading from the ESV. And I know that a lot of other Uh, translations use different words other than steadfastness. I think a couple of the main ones are, uh, it produces patience. uh, And that's a good word. It's it's a good translation. As far as I know, endurance. I think that's one of the most popular translations of that, that, that these testings of our faith produce an endurance in us. And that's a good and right translation. But I like the word steadfastness. I know it's a word that we're not as familiar with and we don't readily identify with as much, but if you, if you kind of look at that word, I think that's a great word to use in this instance because here's what steadfastness means. It means to stand still. It means to remain in a sphere. It's the characteristic of a person who's not, who does not swerve from a deliberate purpose in his or her faith you catch that the characteristic of a person who is not swerved from a deliberate purpose There's, it speaks of constancy through hard things through good things just being firm and 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 just strong and reliable i, I think of uh, I'm, i spent many many years in the northwest corner of oregon in astoria area and one of the coast guard cutters uh one of their i think mid-sized cutters or whatever they call them um, is moored there in Astoria. I think uh, that in partic- the name of that that particular ship is called the Steadfast. And I've had many friends over the years uh, that are were in the Coast Guard and and spent time on the Steadfast. And you can actually go online and see where that ship has been instrumental in doing massive drug busts and all kinds of stuff. And it's got guns and but I just love it. It's an old ship, like 1968 or something like that. But man, when it's cutting through the waters and storms or good weather, it's just keeps doing its job, keeps going strong. And and I think it's just kind of a a visual picture of what that word actually means. Here's some dictionary.com synonyms for steadfastness. Listen, this is important. Immovable, ardent, true, resolute, unyielding, fixed, constant. Now these are some antonyms for the word steadfast. Unreliable. Um, wavering, disloyal, here's my personal favorite, soft, (laughs) and yielding. Why do I bring that up? Why do I spend so much time on that? Because the trials and the temptations that are coming our way have the potential of producing in our character and as it relates to our trust, our faith, and by the way, I didn't mention this, but the word faith is pistis or something like that in the Greek, and it means to put your trust, to fully lean on something. And these trials have the potential of producing in us um, a real firmness and constancy and reliability and strength in our faith. And listen, that's what God wants to do. He wants our faith to be strong and robust and firm and immovable and all of those things. And trials are the... Thing that's going to get us there. And we'll talk more about that um, in a second. And, and I was thinking about this, by the way. Why, why did trials produce that kind of sed- steadfastness in our faith? And I think it has something to do with this. As a trial goes on, one of the nature of trials is, is that it, it causes us to try to fix it or to get out of it. And I'll talk more about this in a moment or two. But But as a trial will go on, you know, You kind of end up getting to a point where you can't rely on people and you can't rely on things and you can't rely on governments or whatever and you just have to trust in Jesus. And as you go through enough trials, you learn that you can just be trust in Jesus, in his word, in his person, who he is. Okay, so let's keep moving. You know that the testing of your faith is producing steadfastness. Now listen to verse 4, this is the end game. So let steadfastness have its full effect that oh boom there's the keyword that this is the end game you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing There it is guys the the reason he can say count it all joy when you're going through these trials and temptations is not just some empty thing there's weight behind it because what he's saying is because This is what's being produced in you, a steadfastness in your faith that if you let that run its course, it's going to produce in you two things. Uh, Perfection, it says perfect and complete. Now, we got to take a moment and, and unpack those words because it doesn't mean perfect as in flawless. The idea of perfect there means having reached its end. A better translation might be maturity. He wants to bring us to maturity. And when it says lacking nothing, or um, the word is actually complete, lacking nothing. Um, Again, I'm from the ESV here. The word complete there literally means whole, W-H-O-L-E. Complete, not literally not missing any pieces. What's James saying? God's desire is to bring us into maturity and wholeness. I was thinking about the idea of wholeness or completeness. You know, when something's complete, when something's whole, it's the way it's supposed to be, and it's, it's functioning the way it's supposed to be. It looks the way it's supposed to be. I don't know about you guys. Uh, with this whole lockdown deal, we've done a few puzzles. And, you know, the worst thing is, um, is when you get to the end of a puzzle and you're missing a piece. And you're like, darn it, I'm missing a piece. Now, you can look at that puzzle and you can make out the picture. You see it. You get it. All right. Okay. Yeah. That's five dogs and an ice cream cone or whatever the picture is. But it bugs you because there's just one or two pieces that are missing. You can still make out the picture, but it's just not what it's supposed to be. Or you think about, you know, a car. You know, it's running, but it's missing a muffler or it's missing a door handle or it's missing. It still runs. It's still there, but it's not the way it's supposed to be. When something's complete, it's the way it's supposed to be. I guess what I'm getting at is this is what we want. I mean, I think all of us would say, I I want maturity. I want to be whole. And God wants that for my life. We're we're all about that. The hiccup in this whole thing is, guys, (sighs) that is God's desire to make us mature and complete. It's our desire as well, if we think about it. But trials are God's chosen means of getting us there. And that's where... The rub is trials are the means by which God brings us to maturity, and not the only way, but a major way. In fact, uh, Paul speaks of this very uh, thing in his writings in Romans chapter five. He says, "Through him we have obtained access, verse two, by grace into our faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God." Verse three. Not only that, but we rejoice. There it is in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance endurance produces character character produces hope hope does not put us to shame and he goes on peter says almost the exact same thing in 1 peter chapter 1 verse 6 he says in this you rejoice there it is again though for now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved with various trials there's that same phraseology so that the testing or so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be more precious uh, than gold that perishes. It's all reflecting the same idea. Look, hard times, but it produces this. Hard times, but it produces this. And, I, and what we just need to accept is that God's chosen means of bringing us into maturity oftentimes is through trials, is through hard things. And that honestly, without trials and hard things, we really. Don't grow up and become mature and complete the way that we could. And that leads me to, and we're almost done, but a phrase that I purposely skipped over there in verse 4. And it's, to me, it's kind of the linchpin to this as far as application is concerned. In verse 4, he says, And let steadfastness have its full effect. He explained, he said, look, by the te- the, these trials are testing your faith so it'll produce steadfastness. So you now you've got to let steadfastness have its, its full effect in you so that you can become, become mature and complete. In other words, we had we got a role to play in this. We can't control the trials that come our way and the temptations that come our way, but how we respond to those, we can. And our role is to let that steadfastness do its work here's why this is so i think just incredibly practical we would all agree that god does use trials to make us mature and complete but i think we would also all agree that none of us like trials and a very normal reaction to a trial is to immediately the second you feel the pressure coming down is you want to squirm away from it and i think that's a very natural reaction you want to get away from that. You want, to, you want to try to dodge it. You want to kind of get out of it. But listen, if we have a lifestyle of dodging hard things and trials in our lives, all we're going to do is stunt our growth and our maturity in Christ. We're never going to grow up. So we have to actually choose to not squirm, and some trials you can squirm out of and some you just can't, but, but there can be a tendency because none of us like hard things. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's fun or easy. I'm just saying that so often with the moment I, can, I, I sense a trial coming, I can just scramble and move location or, or call everybody I know to get this fixed or just do something to kind of fix the situation or ignore it or whatever and not allow God to do his work through it. You know, there's just, you can change jobs, and none of that's necessarily wrong unless you're doing it to just get out of something that's hard. And a lot of times, I really think God just wants us to do a couple, here's how I, I'm just gonna, easier to remember. We gotta let that thing do its work in us. And how do we do it? Number one, you gotta stay in it. Whatever that looks like for you. Stay in the relationship. If you're married, you know, or whatever, however that's working out. Stay in the relationship. Stay in the, uh, you know, the the location you're at. I, I, it's not necessarily a physical location or something, but you guys understand what I'm saying. Like, don't manipulate and try to get out of just whatever's hard in your life right now. Stay in there and let God be the one to move you on. Let God be the one to solve it. Let that steadfastness happen. Get you know, be done with you trying to fix it all and manipulate it and just stay in it. I don't know how else to say it, but just stay under the pressure of that trial. Number two, pray in it. Stay in it and pray in it. Sometimes it takes me a while to get it. Like, dang, why is this trial happening in my life? And and my wife and I have talked this, you know, over the 26 years of our awesome marriage. We've had times where we're, we're like, you know, it, once we're into a trial for a while, we'll be like, you know what, maybe we should ask God what it is he's trying to teach us through this. We kind of joke about it, like, Lord, show us what we need to learn so we can just learn it real quick and get out of this dang trial. And we say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but we're kind of serious too. But it's true. What, what is God trying to teach? And that takes some bravery. It takes some just being real with God and saying, God, in this trial, will you show me what you're trying to test me on? Will you show me where I need to grow? Will you help me grow? Lord, am I not trusting you in this area of my life? Do I have some blind spot in my life that I'm not seeing? Am I counting on others to do this instead of counting on you? What is it you want to show me through this trial? So stay in it, pray in it, and listen, I don't, I don't need to make up an application when there's one right in our face. Verse two, count it all joy. Count it all joy actually do tonight what James tells you to do. To to take that trial, whatever that trial looks like for you, and to consider it joy. Not because it's fun or easy in the midst of it, but based on the deep truth that follows that imperative, which is that God is using that trial not to break you, but to make you, to make you mature, to make you complete. And you've got to grab onto that. And so again, it's not always like you're just overflowing with smiles and giggles, but maybe you just need to stop and say, you know what, Lord, I've not been counting it joyful. I've been complaining. I've been doing this. I've been scrambling. And you know what? I'm just going to choose my faith right now to just say, You're doing something in me through this trial that I may not see till later, but I'm gonna believe it. And I'm just gonna say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for sending this trial my way. Now watch what will happen in your heart. There will actually be a little bit of joy that starts bubbling up. But it starts when you choose to be joyful because you choose to believe what God's word says is true. Now with that in mind, and and now I'm really, really for really is almost done. I wanna give you... Three things to keep in mind as reminders that help you count it all joy. Number one, you have to remember this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That means he's completely in control and ruling over and overruling everything there is in nature, in nations, in uh, um, the big picture of everything, in the the the. The minute picture of your life, he is overruling and ruling over and in control of everything. Read Psalm 139 when you get a chance. Now, admittedly, his ways are not our ways. Psalm 55 verses 8, or excuse me, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. But we have to, we have to just tell ourselves again, God is sovereign. That means that whatever trial has come into my life, God knows. And by the way, there's a promise in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says, you know, that every, you know, that that we're we're all basically tempted with the same things, but God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. With every temptation, he will give us a way of escape that we might endure. And so he will allow certain things. And if he's allowed these trials in your life, he's thought it through. It's not by chance. Did you know that COVID-19 didn't sneak up on Jesus? Did you know the lockdown? Did you know all these things that that God is still sovereign and he's allowing these things to happen? And he's allowing whatever trial you're going through to happen. Number two, God is not only sovereign, God is good. Now listen to me. That is not just a slogan that we say in church. And I'm not just saying God does good things. What I'm telling you, this is actually a doctrinal truth. God is good good. He does good things because he is in his nature good. And I'm so glad that God is not only sovereign, but he's also good. And his sovereignty is is being exercised out of this good nature that he is. And though we don't always see what's good or coming out the other side, we can guarantee, we can just, we can just drill down into that foundation that whatever's happening I don't understand what's going on, but I know this, God is good. And I think that some Christians really need to just settle that issue in your heart. God really is good. And lastly, God is not only sovereign, God is not only good, but God is love. God is love. It says that directly in 1 John, and then John also writes that famous verse, for God so loved. Now, I can easily see how somebody would say, you don't know what I'm going through. How can you s- God would allow this. God is good when this is happening in my life. God loves me when this is happening in my life. And this is where you have to look beyond the circumstance and up to the cross and just know this, that if God loved me and God loved you enough to send his son to die for the wretched sins that I've committed and you've committed, though he was completely innocent. And for God the Father to pour out his wrath that I deserve unto his son in my place so that we could be saved. If he loved me that much, I can trust in the midst of my trial, though I don't understand it, my God is a God of love and he's a good God and he's a sovereign God. So I'm gonna choose to be joyful in the midst of my trial. Guys, I know that I, I took a long time to get through that passage. It's only four verses. I wanted us to think it through. I, I, I don't want this to just be some little verse we quote. It, it's, it, it touches on deep stuff. I want us to grab a hold of it in our head, but listen, I want you to grab a hold of it in your heart. What are you going through tonight? What trial are you facing in your life right now? Can I remind you, God is sovereign, God is good, God is love. He wants to take that trial, and he's not using it to break you. He really actually wants to make you into a mature and complete believer in Jesus. And I just want to encourage you to just do what the Word says tonight. Don't worry about tomorrow, but just tonight. Just say, Lord, thank you. I'm going to choose to be joyful in the midst of my trial. I guarantee when it's all said and done, God's word will come out on top and be true in your life. I know there's a lot of hard things going on, right? Just in our little island, we've had six suicides in this island in the last week or so. Trials are hard financially. Our unemployment rates, I think in the 30%, somewhere in there. It's it's unbelievable the trials that people are going through. But God is sovereign, God is good, and God is love, and you can trust him and whatever it is you're going through tonight. You know, I've been, there's a a word I didn't even touch on when I went through this. It's the word brothers. You know, James is talking to, to the family. He's talking to believers in Jesus. And I've been tonight talking to believers in Jesus, but it's very possible that you're listening to this and you've never given your life to Christ. And this all sounds very good and wonderful, but maybe it just sounds kind of foreign too. Like, what does all this mean? I just want to remind you tonight that if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't uh, if you're not what we say, sometimes saved or or born again, if you if you don't know that you know that you know that you've been forgiven of your sins and you have a relationship with God, um, you know, these these things are written to Christians. But if you if you want to give your life to Christ, if maybe tonight you find yourself saying, you know what, that all sounds good, but but I just want to hear more about this idea of having my sins forgiven. I, I want to be a brethren, I want to be a, a sister, I want to be a part of the family. Listen, I just want to tell you quickly tonight, listen. God loves you. Uh, he created you to have a relationship with him. The Bible says that our sins have separated us from him and that there's nothing we can do to bridge that gap but that God loved us so much he sent his own son who died in our place and Grab the hand of God and grab the hand of man by paying for our sins on the cross and raising from the dead three days later and has paid for our sins and taken away all the enmity between God and man. And now, if you will, with the hand of faith, reach out and grab the free gift of salvation that God is offering you, you will be saved. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, would you bow your heart? Would you just say, Father, I want to come into the family. Forgive me for my sins. I want to be born again. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins and raised from the dead, and I repent and I turn towards you. Forgive me. Come into my life. And if you truly pray that with your heart, he's going to come in. And you can grab onto these promises that we've been talking about tonight. In Jesus' name. Yeah. So God bless you guys, and and, uh, I just... I do just want to say one quick prayer um, before we go, but I just pray that you're encouraged tonight. Father, I pray you would take the word, you would apply it to our hearts. God, that we wouldn't like, treat this as some little glib thing that James is saying, but that it's actually true. We can grab onto it and, 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 and just stand on it like a, f- a solid rock. I pray you touch and bless my friends and my family in Christ and that, Lord, you would get us through the trials. That we're currently in and thank you that you're making us into the men and women of god that we ultimately long to be we love you and praise you in jesus name amen